Let's open our Bibles together to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Here in our congregation, we have been going through the first chapters of Genesis. As you might see in the bulletin, this is the 22nd sermon in that series. So we've been at it for a while. And in God's providence, we are up to this text this afternoon, which works very well at the occasion of baptism. So we're going to read Genesis 9, verses 1 through 17. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, and upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea, into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require, At the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man, whoso sheddeth man's blood. By man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. And you, be ye fruitful, and multiply, and bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. Now the following verses will be the focus of the sermon. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you, and with your seed after you. And every living creature that is with you of the fowl of the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of the covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. We read God's word that far. (coughs) Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we know well, the flood that God sent upon the earth in the days of Noah was one of the greatest wonders 
that God has done in all of the history of the world. In the centuries before the flood, we have seen in our series, the people of God rapidly decreased on the face of the earth until it got to the point where there was only a handful of believers left in the world. On the reverse side, the children of the devil were increasing and increasing and increasing in the earth so that they filled the earth and corrupted the earth so that the world became ripe for judgment. It was right at that moment when it seemed that the darkness was going to snuff out the light in the world that God came in judgment. There was a point when only eight souls remained on this earth who still walked with God. And it seemed that the wicked would eliminate the church so that the world would become draped in complete darkness. But that's when God loves to come to bring judgment on the wicked and victory to his people. That's when God came in the flood. The flood which utterly destroyed all of that wicked generation, sweeping them away under the violent torrents of water, the flood through which God also saved those eight souls, Noah, his wife, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives in the ark through the waters of the flood. We have seen in the past that the waters of the flood were a figure that pointed forward to baptism. The flood pointed forward to the sacrament that we just observed, the water that was applied to the head of these two little ones. The flood of Noah pointed forward to this sacrament that we have observed today, as we hope to see in more detail in the sermon. After the flood, when the waters finally receded and went down, and God called Noah out of the ark with the animals, God brought them into a new world. He brought them into a new earth that was completely cleansed, completely renovated and transformed, a place where God's people could dwell with God again. And Noah knew this was all the work of God and his grace. So Noah built up an altar, and he offered sacrifices of thanksgiving to God immediately after he came out of the ark. And it was on that same day when God called them out of the ark and Noah built that altar of sacrifice and thanksgiving to God that God spoke to him. And we saw that in our last sermon. God spoke to Noah and told him a number of things about life now in this newly cleansed world. And among those things that God said to Noah, he said, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and have children. And we have seen that God has given to many of us the ability, the blessing of having children, as we also see this afternoon. Immediately after that, come the words of our text. God is still speaking to Noah and his sons, And he says to them, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you 
Here, in a most beautiful and remarkable way, God reveals the riches of his covenant to Noah and his sons and their seed and with every living creature that was with them on the ark. And I call your attention to that text this afternoon. We take as the theme of the sermon God's covenant with Noah. Notice, first of all, the meaning of this everlasting covenant. Secondly, the cosmic scope, the universal scope of that covenant. And finally, let's look at that rainbow token, the token of the covenant. What God went on to say to Noah and his sons, according to our text, verse 9, is this. And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. Those wonderful words of God to Noah and his sons make plain some things about God's covenant. Those words make plain that the divine covenant is a marvelous reality that far surpasses all merely human covenants. Because I want you to take notice in the text that God does not say to Noah and to his sons, let us make a covenant with each other. That's not what God said to Noah that day. He didn't say, let us sit down and make a covenant together, but he said to Noah, and behold, I establish my covenant with you. I do that. In the text, God is not inviting Noah to sit down and to bang out, forge out an agreement with one another, an agreement with various promises and provisions and conditions and stipulations. But God simply says to Noah, And behold, I establish my covenant with you. And by those words, God makes plain, as here and in the rest of Scripture, that he and he alone sovereignly establishes his covenant with us. We do not do this together with God. This is a work of God alone. And what is also remarkable is that God says, this is my covenant. He lays claim to that covenant. It's not our covenant. That's not what he says to Noah. This is my covenant. I establish with you my covenant. And what then is God's covenant? What is the covenant that belongs to God, that he lays claim to it as his possession. That covenant, according to the rest of Scripture, is the blessed relationship within the Holy Trinity. The blessed relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The holy and wondrous relationship of love between the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. It's a relationship of vibrant life, of joy, of blessedness, of peace, of unity between the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. It's the divine order, the divine structure, the divine communion of the Trinity. That's God's covenant. God himself dwells within himself in covenant even before he ever makes a covenant with a single human being. 
And now God comes to Noah, and we see how beautiful and marvelous those words are. I establish my covenant with you. God is saying to Noah, I who dwell in this covenant relationship as Father, Son, and Spirit, I'm sharing that with you. I'm establishing that with you. I'm drawing you into it to enjoy it as well. So that in our text, God makes a solemn promise. And by means of the beautiful token of the rainbow, he ratifies and confirms his covenant with Noah and his sons and his seed after them. But we need to understand about the text that this was not the very first time that God established his covenant with Noah. We have seen that Noah was a man who walked with God. He was 600 years old at this point in his life, 601 actually, and he had walked with God for all those hundreds of years. Noah grew up in the covenant community. Noah grew up in the line of the covenant, and Noah raised his children in the covenant community to serve God as his covenant people. And then we have seen in chapter 6, that just before the flood, God spoke to Noah and assured him and comforted him and said to him, with you I establish my covenant. I'm going to destroy the world. I'm going to wipe it out. I'm going to cleanse the world of all this wickedness. But with you, Noah, with you, I will establish my covenant. Genesis 6, verse 18. God was saying to Noah, just as you have been my covenant person in the past, so you will be in the future. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. I will establish my covenant with you. And then came the flood. Then God poured out that water upon the earth after he had wrapped his arms around the ark with Noah and his family and the animals safely inside the ark. He poured out the waters of the flood on the earth. And by that act, God was baptizing them baptizing his people in the ark, baptizing them with that water of the flood. He was baptizing them unto salvation. The salvation of the flood was that God, through that water of the flood, completely cleansed the wicked and corrupt world. He wiped away all of the ungodly and the hostile and the wicked men and women who were about to snuff out the church. He cleansed them and wiped them all away. But he also brought salvation through the flood by baptizing that ark, the ark of his people. He poured down that rain upon it. He brought the waters against it. He baptized that ark. He baptized his people in that ark. He cleansed that ark without destroying it. That's the wonder of the flood. He cleansed He baptized, he washed his people by the violent surging waters of the flood without destroying them. And then he brought them through that flood, through that baptism, to the other side of the flood and brought the waters down and told them to come out into a brand new world. He gave them as their inheritance the earth Because the scriptures teach, too, that in God's covenant, God has a testament. God has a will and testament that he promises to his children. And that will and that testament of God is that he will give an inheritance to his people. 
Just as a father promises an inheritance to his children, God promises an inheritance to his people, and that inheritance is the earth. He gave to Noah and his family the whole earth as their inheritance. And then as they came out of the ark and received their inheritance as a free gift of God's grace, he repeats the blessed promise in our text. Noah said, God said to Noah, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. Just as before, so also now, and unto all eternity, I will establish my covenant with you. God shows himself faithful to his covenant bond. He will never break it. He will never sever it. God is faithful. That whole history is a beautiful picture that points forward to the New Testament church. In 1 Peter 3, verses 20 and 21, the Apostle Peter writes that in the flood, few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. The Apostle Peter says, you know the flood? You know how they were saved by the water of the flood? That was a figure that points to baptism. And we know from the theology of baptism that baptism is a sign and seal of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which he has saved us. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ by which he has delivered us from this present evil world. We who are the people of God, and as time goes on, we know the the remnant will get smaller and smaller. And when it seems that the light will be completely snuffed out, God will deliver us from this present evil world through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. The flood points to the blood, the blood of Christ which cleanses us from all of our sins and iniquities. The blood of Jesus Christ, which carries us through the flood into a new world and gives us an inheritance incorruptible that fadeth not away. God has promised us. God has a will and testament for us. And in that, he promises as our Father to give us the earth. The scriptures say repeatedly that the people of God will inherit the earth. The earth will be our inheritance, everlasting life with God through Christ's blood in the world to come. And not only that, but all of this history points forward to the New Testament church in this too. We learn here that God establishes his covenant with believers and their seed, believers and their children, With whom did God establish his covenant? With Noah and with his sons and with their children after them. God could have brought the flood upon the earth before Noah and his wife had any children. There could have been just two people in that ark. But God determined that he would bring the flood and salvation after Noah and his wife had had three sons. And those sons had taken three wives. 
so that eight souls were saved in the ark because God is teaching us that God has his covenant with believers and their children. The baptism form that we read earlier says that believing Noah and his family were saved in the ark through the flood and his family. And then after the flood, God made the promise of the covenant to Noah, to his sons, and to their seed. Verse 9, to their seed, their children. This whole history is teaching us that also in the New Testament church, God will have us to baptize our children. Just as God baptized believing Noah and his children, God will have us to baptize believers and their children. Because... They, too, are in his covenant. Not because of their faith. We don't baptize someone, uh, we don't baptize children because of their faith, because they don't have faith yet. At least they don't have a conscious faith yet. We baptize children because of the promise, because they are included in the covenant and church of God. But we must not misunderstand When God promised to Noah and to his sons to establish his covenant with them and with their seed, God was not promising to establish his covenant with all of their seed, with all of their children. Some Reformed men have taught that in this passage, God was establishing a covenant of common grace. And by that, they understood and they meant that God, they thought, was establishing his covenant with Noah and his sons and their seed, and they interpreted that to mean all of the seed, all of their children. And of course, it is true that All human beings come from Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But then these theologians said that this was a covenant of common grace in contrast to God's covenant of particular grace, that with Abraham, later, God would establish a covenant of particular grace, only with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Israel, a covenant with his elect people. But here, God makes a covenant with Noah and his sons and their seed, So they said, this is a covenant with all humanity. And whereas the covenant with Abraham is a covenant that brings eternal salvation, this covenant with Noah, they say, only brings earthly blessings. This is a covenant of earthly blessings and nothing more. We don't agree with that interpretation of the text. But we see here in this text that God is establishing with Noah his one covenant of grace. God doesn't have a covenant of common grace and a covenant of particular grace. He has one covenant, a covenant of grace. And what he is showing us here in the text is that he is establishing this covenant of grace with Noah, his sons, and their seed after them. But who is that seed?
whenever we hear that God is establishing his covenant with believers and their seed in Scripture, we have to look at that concept of seed. Who is that? Previous to this, many, many hundreds of years before, God had said to Adam and Eve, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. And this seed of the woman would crush the head of the devil. Now here in the text, God comes and says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you. And later he will say to Abraham, between me and you and your seed And he will say to Isaac, your seed, Jacob, your seed, David, your seed. Who is that seed? The Apostle Paul teaches us in his epistle to the Galatians, chapter 3, verse 16. He saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one and to thy seed, which is Christ. Christ is the seed. The seed of the woman. The seed of Noah. The seed of Abraham. The seed of Isaac and Jacob. The seed of David is Christ. And the Apostle Paul goes on at the end of that chapter to say, and all those who belong to Christ, all who are Christ's, they too are the seed. Christ and all who belong to him. Who are those that belong to Christ? Those who have been given to Christ before the foundation of the world, the elect. Those for whom Christ died on the cross, the elect those who are united to Christ by the Holy Spirit, the elect, God's chosen and predestinated, beloved people. So that God is teaching throughout the scriptures in so many different ways when he speaks of that seed. Christ, 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 and all who belong to Christ. I establish my covenant with Christ and all who belong to him. And that is to say all those who have been chosen, redeemed, united to Christ, and who when they grow to years of discretion, believe in Christ, they come to a living, conscious faith in Christ and confess him as their Lord and Savior. The covenant is with them and them alone. Not a covenant of common grace, a covenant of grace between God and Christ and all of his people in Christ. But now this too. God gathers his elect from the children of believers. That's why we baptize them. And this too. That seed of Noah, while it refers centrally to Christ, it does also refer to the offspring of Noah in a sense. Surely, God is also promising to Noah in the text that he will establish his covenant with people from all the nations of the world. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the fountainheads 
of all the nations, every kindred, tribe, and tongue of the earth have all sprung from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so God is surely saying, I have my elect throughout the nations. And although in the Old Testament he would primarily focus on the line of Shem, through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through the nation of Israel, he would primarily establish his covenant there. But then he promises the day will come when I will open my covenant to all nations, when I will send forth my messengers to the ends of the earth to preach the gospel of salvation by faith in Christ and gather into my covenant all my elect from every nation under heaven. And that's why Jesus gave as our great last commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. Through the preaching of the gospel, God brings his elect to faith in Christ. And if they grew up in heathen religions, then they weren't baptized as children. They will be baptized as adults. But if they come to a faith in Christ through missions, and they are baptized as adults, their children will also be baptized in the very same service. That's the everlasting covenant that God revealed and established with Noah. Now we have to notice something, some other things very remarkable about this covenant. And first of all, the cosmic scope. You can't fail to notice that when you read the text that the covenant that God made with Noah is a covenant that's universal. He doesn't just say with you, Noah, and with your sons and with your seed after you, but also, verse 10, with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth, and I will establish my covenant with you. This covenant that God made with Noah and his sons and their seed, with Christ and all that belong to Christ, he also makes this covenant with all the animals that were with them on the ark. With the birds, two of every kind. The cattle, two of every kind. The beasts, two of every kind. The creeping things, two of every kind. All the little insects, the lions and the bears and the elephants and the rhinoceros, the eagles and the hawks and the parrots, all those wonderful creatures of God in the ark, he established his covenant with them. The text is emphatic. It says it again and again and again with every living creature of all flesh. And God makes clear that when he says every living creature, he's not talking about human beings anymore. He's talked about human beings. Now he's talking about the other living creatures. He's talking about the animals. I established my covenant with them. Well, if the covenant of God is this relationship of love and life and communion and fellowship, how could God have such a relationship with animals? Well, he he doesn't. The covenant that God has with us, his people, is on a higher plane than the covenant as he has it with the animals. 
He's created man differently from the animals. And therefore, the covenant that he has with us is different. It's, it's richer. It's more intimate. There's a rich communion of conversation and love and life between us and God in that relationship of the covenant. But God also establishes his covenant with all the living creatures. God wants us to see the vastness of his covenant That his covenant embraces and touches and includes and draws in all of the living creatures on the earth. Not as if God has some kind of fellowship with them, but that God loves them. God cares about them. God delights in all of his creatures. And this was not the first time that God expressed his delight in all of the creatures. He he made them in the beginning very good. On the fifth day, he made the birds and the fish. On the sixth day, all the beasts and the cattle and the creeping things. And he said, it's very good. But then he destroyed them all in the flood. And lest we come to think that therefore God has changed his mind, that God no longer loves his creatures, God no longer cares for the sparrow, he no longer cares for the dove, He tells us, oh no, I establish my covenant with them too. I love all my creatures. I love the little ants of the ground. I love the birds that soar through the air. I love the beasts of the field, the lions that roam on the savanna. I love all the cattle on a thousand hills. God embraces them all in his covenant. And that's not all. Notice in verse 11, he says that his covenant is not to destroy the earth. And verse 13, his covenant is between me and the earth. The earth, the whole earth is drawn into his covenant. And that's not all either. God doesn't mention the fish, does he? He doesn't mention the heavens. He doesn't mention the angels. But when our Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, we read in Colossians 1, that through the blood of the cross, he reconciled all things to God. Things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth. Through the blood of the cross of our Lord Jesus, God draws into his covenant the entirety of the universe, All of the mountains and valleys and fields and forests. His covenant reaches to the very depths of the ocean. His covenant reaches to the farthest extent of space and time. All the stars and the galaxies, all the angels of heaven, all things are drawn into God's everlasting covenant. God loves all of his creation. The flocks and herds and beasts and birds the people of God of every kindred and tribe and culture and language and nation. God's covenant is cosmic and universal. And the blessed promise that God made in this covenant with Noah, remember, it's the one covenant that we're talking of here. This is not some different covenant. This is the one covenant. Those of us who are so familiar with covenant theology and covenant thinking, 
We're so tempted to sometimes think the covenant is just about us. It's us and our children. No, 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 no. The covenant is everything. God's covenant includes everything in the whole creation. And what was the glorious promise? God said, verse 11, Neither shall all flesh be cut off anymore by the waters of a flood. Neither shall any more there be a flood to destroy the earth. That was the specific promise that God made regarding the whole of the earth. I will never destroy it again with a flood. Now, God was not saying he would never send floods again. He was not saying there would never be another earthquake or volcano or storm or hurricane or devastating calamity. But he is saying he will never destroy the whole earth again with a flood as long as the earth remains. What a wonderful promise. God was promising to preserve his creation and his love for the earth for perpetual generations. But that promise of God, as wonderful as it was, that too was part of the type and the picture, and that too pointed forward to the future, as all of the Old Testament does. It pointed forward to something greater, something better. It pointed to the cross of Jesus, because there on the cross, God poured out the flood of his wrath upon Jesus. He poured out the flood of destruction and wrath and indignation upon Christ on the cross, not because of Christ's sins, because he had no sin, but because of our sins, because of our sins. He poured out the wrath that we deserved on Christ at the cross. A flood, a terrible, terrible flood of wrath he poured out on Christ at the cross. And Christ, in all of his power and majesty as the Son of God, bore that flood of wrath as it, as it billowed over him. He bore it. He bore it. He suffered it until it was finished. And the promise that God speaks to us at the cross is, I will never do that again. Never. Finished once and for all. And that points us forward to the end of time. Because although he will never destroy the earth again with a flood, that very flood was also a type, type pointing to the destruction of the whole universe at the end of the world. Not with water, but with fire. That's nothing to be afraid of as the people of God, because he will not destroy us in that fire. He'll save us from the wrath to come. But when the world becomes overrun once again with ungodly, with darkness, with the kingdom of darkness, when all seems to be at the very end, all seems to be lost, when darkness seems triumphant, then, then, Christ will come. In all of his glory, in all of his power, 
surrounded by all the angels of heaven, and he will demonstrate once and for all that God's covenant is with the whole universe, that God is the God of this world, that Jesus rules over this world, that he has all power and authority and dominion, and he will come in flaming fire to destroy the world, to save his people. But then God will say, never again. Never again. Because when Jesus comes, he will make a new heaven and a new earth. And he will say, never again. Remember that part of God's covenant is that he has a a will and testament for us, his people. As a father, As a father writes out his will and testament and says, this will be the inheritance that will come to my children when I pass away. A free gift. God has a will and testament for us. And in that will, he writes out the names of all of his children and he says, I bequeath to them the earth. The whole earth. The new earth. The earth that is still to come the earth that I'm going to create, the earth that will last forever and the heavens above it, to dwell with me there in my covenant, world without end. Never again. That will be God's promise. But that will be the fullness of the promise. This promise to Noah is incomplete because he's only promising never to destroy the earth with a flood. But what about the heavens? What about the rest of the universe? What about other ways of destroying the world? He doesn't say, because he knows he's going to destroy the entire universe with fire. But the greater promise is yet to come. On that great day, he will promise us, when he brings us into his kingdom, never again, never again. This world I will not destroy with a flood. This world I will not destroy with fire. This world I will never destroy in any way. I give it to you. It's your inheritance. This is where I will dwell with you, with all of my dear creatures, with all of the lions and bears and creeping things, with all the little insects and the sparrows and the swallows and the brilliant light of God's countenance. There we will dwell with God. And as he says in Revelation 21, My tabernacle will be with men, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And I will wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more death, for the former things are passed away. That's the glory and the beauty of God's everlasting cosmic covenant. And he gave Noah a token. The rainbow. Children, do you know what a rainbow is? Of course, you say, of course. We've all seen a rainbow. We love to look at the rainbow, don't we? That brilliant semicircle of color that God sometimes puts there in the sky. Those brilliant colors, the full spectrum 
the warm colors, the red, the orange, and yellow, blending into green, blue, indigo, and violet. In this beautiful arc, up from the earth toward the heaven and back down to the earth, as if that rainbow embraces the whole world. Who made the rainbow? You can probably go to your science book and you can probably study that and you can probably learn that when the conditions are right, when it's a rainy day and the sun pokes through the clouds, then once in a while you'll see a rainbow as that light somehow refracts and reflects off the raindrops and all the rest. But don't you ever forget who made the rainbow and who makes every rainbow. God tells us in the text. Verse 12, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud. And it shall come to pass, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. God puts that rainbow there as a token of his covenant. Just like on a wedding day, children. At a wedding, the woman gives a ring to her husband, like this ring on my finger, and she puts it on to his finger and she takes a ring and she puts it onto his finger and that ring not a semicircle but a full circle is a token of the covenant between them a token of their relationship of love and fellowship a token of that relationship in which they promise to enter into to be faithful to each other forever it's a token God has given us a token, the rainbow. It's his wedding ring to us. It's one of the great tokens of the covenant, particularly of this aspect of the covenant with all creatures. And as we see it stretching out over the whole earth, we see how through that rainbow God, as it were, puts his arms around the whole earth and says, Mine! Mine! I love it! It's mine! It will always be mine, and it's beautiful. God tells us why he put that rainbow there. Children, he, he says, I will look upon it. Now think of that. When you see a rainbow, and you're thinking about God's covenant, remember this too. Just like you're looking at that rainbow, God's looking at it too. God's looking at it and remembering Remembering his covenant. Now you say, God doesn't need a reminder, does he? We need reminders because we forget things. Well, that's not the idea. God doesn't forget. 
God has put the rainbow there as a visible proof in nature itself. Embedded in nature, in the natural order. As a proof to us, a visible proof. I don't forget. I remember my covenant with you, your children, and all the earth. And I will keep my promises. I will send my son again. In the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 3, John sees a vision of heaven. In that vision, he sees a throne. And it's the throne of God Almighty. And John writes this, He that sat on that throne was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. God up in heaven on his throne is surrounded and clothed with the rainbow. He never forgets. And he will remember all of his promises to the end of the world. What a comfort. The God of the rainbow is the God of us and all creation and always will be. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for the riches of the scripture and the great comfort. We thank thee that thou dost make known to us thy love for the world, for thy creatures, for thy people in Christ Jesus, and thy everlasting covenant with all creation. We thank thee for that beautiful rainbow as a token of thy covenant to us. And every time we look at it, may we be filled with comfort and hope and joy, not only to admire its beauty, but above all, to admire the beauty of the Lord, thee our God, and to pray, come Lord Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Let's sing finally number 241.